Sean Hannity Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Now it's time for Jamie Dupree, the most connected man in D.C. on the Sean Hannity Show. All right, he is the most connected man in Washington, D.C. Did you get my note just minutes ago? I did get your note just minutes ago. Yes, thank you. I only tell you these things because that's how much we're... That's how deep our friendship is. I greatly appreciate the help. <laughs> you don't need my help. I um, do. I, listen, I, I asked you for a reason. I didn't ask you a question via email just to, you know, soothe your ego or something like that. No, 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 no. But that's it's it's almost 100 percent. It's about 98 percent. OK, um, I'm just trying to figure out when I need to make reservations. Yes. Uh, very, very important. Uh, what are you doing for the Fourth of July? Um, you know, uh, what we did last year is, well, if, you, if you've ever been to D.C. for the 4th of July, the National Mall, for all the way from the Lincoln Memorial down to the Capitol, I mean, it's cool to go down there, but it's a madhouse with all the people and everything. We actually went uh, just a little uh, along the waterfront over by the area town known as Georgetown along the Potomac River. We were able to drive down there, find a parking space, and watch the fireworks, not from uh, real far away, but to get a good view. And we might do the same thing again this year. How about you? Uh, tennis. That's all I ever do. Well, that's okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll go whack the ball around the golf course and it's a very good have idea. a Coors Light and, you know, or not, two, n- yes. not, not get angry when I miss a shot. I never miss it to the left, though. It's always to the right? No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's good. Uh, at least, you know, you're, you know, at least I'm consistent all the way through, yeah. right? Hey, there's some pretty fascinating polls out today. Um, you got Walker ahead in Iowa, Trump second, Jeb in New Hampshire. Trump is doing well there. Carson is up in both states. Um, very interesting poll numbers. What's your take on it? You know, my take is, A, we shouldn't get too engrossed in numbers, but at the same time, we can't ignore when we see similar things happening or when we see movement. Uh, it's, it's obvious Scott Walker is doing very well in Iowa. He's in a decent position in New Hampshire. I think that's about to be expected. Jeb Bush, not as strong in Iowa, but stronger in New Hampshire. But to me, the two things that stand out in these polls are how high both Donald Trump and Ben Carson are, which tells me, again, that there is that element of the Republican Party voter that is out there looking for somebody who not only wants to shake it up, but really is not a politician at this time. And I would almost argue that at this point in time, the success in the polls, the relative success, quote unquote, at this point in time for both Trump and Carson really undercuts both Rand Paul and Ted Cruz in an interesting way, because they would certainly draw people from some of the, that that might fall to a Cruz or to a Rand Paul if uh, Trump or Carson were not in the race. And, and to me, it's going to be fascinating to watch this shifting back and forth, because obviously, if you're going to have 16 major big name candidates in there, uh, they're going to be uh, stepping on each other's toes and taking a few votes. Isn't it there. amazing? I mean, six, yeah. I mean I, we, we interviewed Chris Christie last night. And how did that go? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I thought he did as good a job as you can do. I mean, I, he's got a very tough situation in New Jersey because he's got a, a mess, a pension mess there that is unbelievable. And uh, I just think it's very, very hard. He's got a Democratic legislature. And, and you know, for my pos- position, I think he could have probably given Romney a really big run for his money in 2012. But, he, you know, maybe his, maybe his time was then. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's always that thought that uh, sometimes uh, uh, your, your time to run is maybe you don't want to, but that is the best opening. You never know. I do think that if he's going to focus on New Hampshire, much as we've seen uh, others in the past do that, John McCain comes to mind in 2000 when uh, uh, he was trying to go after uh, George, then Governor George W. Bush, and it can work maybe in one state, but it might not translate elsewhere. Uh, I still think that Jeb Bush, and in a sense a little of Marco Rubio, 
really stand in the way or could see some trouble if Christie were to catch fire in New Hampshire. But again, uh, you know, the the makeups of those two states, I think this is what is so confounding for a lot of people. If you're not in New Hampshire and you're not in Iowa, you don't realize how different those two states are. And yet we we put them on such a high pedestal and they make such an impact on the race. But they really are two totally different places. So Walker, as he gets ready to declare later this month, I think he's still in a very good position right now. We'll see whether or not he's ready to keep going forward with that in the months ahead. We not only have the New Hampshire and Iowa polls, we got a CNN poll. Trump came in second there. He's up three points from before his announcement. And uh, Jeb Bush is up six points since his announcement. So clearly making an announcement has created a splash for them. Yeah, and that's why I think Walker will get a little boost, too, when he finally officially gets in the race. And, you know, he's uh, I've, I've watched him at a number of events recently and watched his presentations. To me, he is he's like Christie in the sense that his stump speech is ready to go right now. He, he doesn't have to sit around and sort of think it just flies off of his tongue. There's no need for a written speech. There's no need for a teleprompter. It's there and he's ready to go. Now we'll see about organization and money and uh, and how they go forward, whether Walker is really ready for the rest of this race. Because you and I both know that you can you can have a great speech, you can have a great message, but if you don't have the organization to get that out, it, it can fall flat. And certainly momentum will be a big deal over the next six months, both in Iowa and New Hampshire. Agreed with that, but also you, gotta, you cannot ignore the m- amount of money that, say, Ted Cruz has raised, $40 million, and... You can't ignore the fact that he has a billionaire supporter. You can't ignore the fact that Marco Rubio's raised a lot of money and he has a billionaire supporter. They're all flush. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, it's almost going to be, I bet that they run out of airtime in both Iowa and New Hampshire. I wouldn't be surprised. It's happened before. And I think we're going to see more money than we've ever seen uh, thrown in this race. You have other Trump news. He's suing uh, Univision for $500 million. Macy's has cut ties with Donald Trump, as we talked about. Um, you know, I, I guess with Trump, I don't see this hurting him. I see every bit of this press helping him. No, I, I don't think it, it hurts him that much. But I do think it's a reminder, as I told you yesterday from New Jersey, that being a businessman and being up on the news radar is different than being a presidential candidate. You're going to get a, a you know, I don't think if Donald Trump had said what he said, just in some aside, I don't think Macy's would have paid that much attention to it. But because he said it at a presidential bid announcement and because Trump has now become a different kind of person with that announcement, I do think it, it brings him some more scrutiny, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, whether it's proper or not is not the issue. That's just sort of what happens when you run for president. Well, yeah, it's a certain level of scrutiny that you wouldn't get anywhere else. No doubt about it. And uh, but I think at this point, it's a net positive, whether or not at some point it has it becomes a a diminishing return for Trump. You know, we'll find out over time. Uh, But I think when you look at the polls on the issue of immigration, I think he's got the polls in his favor. And I think the outspokenness, I think there is a genuine feeling in the country right now, which creates an opening for somebody that is not a conventional candidate to do much better. And that is, of course, that people are frustrated and have the feeling that both parties are not doing well. Yeah, I do think, though, that Trump and, to a lesser extent, Carson, really hold Ted Cruz back uh, because uh, there's some of the same element they're, they're both going after there in terms of the Republic, disaffected Republican voter. And so I, I know that uh, the, the old 12th commandment of Ronald Reagan is not to attack your fellow Republican, but I just wonder 
uh, how long that some of the Republicans can can hold back from that. And what I'd really like to see, frankly, is I'd like to see uh, Chris Christie and Donald Trump go after each other in the debates. That would be pure entertainment. I don't have any doubt was going to be plenty of entertainment with what now we'll have 16. I guess this is pretty much the end of the road. I don't think we can dismiss John Kasich either. I mean, you look at the margin of victory he had in his reelection race last year. It's it's obviously Ohio. No Republicans going to be president without Ohio and Florida. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Kasich, though, is, uh, you know, I think that he suffers maybe a little from some of the same things that uh, that Jeb Bush and Chris Christie might suffer from. Is he seen as conservative enough by Republican voters? He would argue that he is. But I'm not sure I would put him over on that side with Ted Cruz and maybe others. But I don't think listen, I don't think of the, these 16, once we get Walker and Kasich in, I don't think you can write any of them off because somebody is going to catch fire. There's going to be a moment in one of these debates that somebody will jump up and it will bounce them up higher in this race. And as we just remember four years ago, how there seemed to be almost a flavor of the month in the Republican Party to be the anti uh, Mitt Romney candidate who is everybody cycled through. Seemingly, we could have something else like this. We talk about money. Uh, I see Hillary Clinton is on track to raise about $45 million in the second quarter. So it's obvious not only will Republicans have a lot of money, but the Democrats will, too. You know, the funny part about that is you look at Bernie Sanders, the old curmudgeon, 73-year-old curmudgeon that he is. And, you know, to see Hillary in this bad position in the polling against him has got to be really chilling to, to the Hillary campaign. Do you see the draft Biden movement is growing? Well, you know, there there have been, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal earlier in the week, and we've seen some more rumbles about it, that uh, uh, that his sons, uh, Bo Biden, before he died, and his other son, Hunter, had urged uh, the vice president to run. I still believe, I don't have any insight, but I just believe from the thought of if you've made it to number two, if you made it to the job of vice president, you can't help but look down the hallway and stand in that Oval Office and think, I should be running this show. I can do this job. And so I still would not be surprised if the vice president decided to throw his hat in the ring. The one thing about him I think that is underestimated is that you could take him to just about any city in this country, 200,000 people or more, and I'd bet he'd have somebody that he could pull out of his Rolodex and call and, and, and you know, meet with. Uh, he is a person who has been involved within Democratic Party politics for so many years and has so many contacts. You never know. Maybe he decides to get in. Then again, maybe he just decides, I've done enough. Let me ask you about, did you see the Daily News article today? The smartest woman in the world, Hillary Clinton, had a 15-minute exchange with Anthony Weiner's wife, uh, Huma Abedin, about how to use a fax machine. Can you hang up the fax line, she writes? They'll call again and try and fax. She writes, Hillary responds, oh, I thought it was supposed to be off the hook to work. Yes, but hang up one more time so they can establish the line, Abedin replies. I did, said Clinton. Just pick up the phone and hang it up and leave it hung up, Abedin writes. I've done it twice now, grumbled the Secretary of State. This went on for 15 minutes. 
why is the VCR blinking 12 o'clock? You know, I think um, my parents asked me that a few times over the years. Yes. What I was struck by by the emails yesterday was all the mundane things exactly like that that was in them and the realization that it took this long to get at some of this stuff simply because she had set up this unusual email arrangement with her own personal server. Now, did you see the one I put on Twitter last night where she said it was July of 2009. She was having a meeting with Santa. Now, it wasn't obvious to me who Santa was. In July, it doesn't seem like it would be Santa Claus. But she was having some meeting, and I haven't found any other corroborating information to figure out who exactly that was or who she well, was referring to. we also, when it first came out that Hillary had defied the administration orders and recruited Sid Vicious Blumenthal as an informal advisor, it looked like the role the Blumenthal played was limited to a few emails, but according to the latest Hillary emails released by the State Department. It looks like Blumenthal was one of Hillary's top advisor, and apparently he spent a lot of time trashing Obama and his messages to Hillary for doing a crappy job on foreign policy. You know, I think that uh, there are probably going to be a lot of emails from Sid Blumenthal the whole way through. I think that politicians, they often have, if not a kitchen cabinet, then they have some advisors who are always trying to, in their mind, help out and always trying to influence, and always trying to stay in the game. And I would bet that Blumenthal, frustrated that he could not get a job at the State Department, frustrated at the inability of Hillary Clinton to bring, bring him on, mainly because of the opposition, the Obama administration in the White House, just kept at it. And that what we'll see later on with the Benghazi emails is that probably there's been a natural arc of involvement with him. And I would bet that there's going to be other emails that would be in there. I saw one uh, that I read where she sent a message to Strobe Talbot, who was a senior diplomat for the U.S., and uh, talking about his support for health care reform and more. So I would bet that there's going to be more examples of that. Blumenthal, how much influence did he have? You know, sometimes it seems like people are really hanging around members of Congress or important people here in D.C., and you think that they are a very tight advisor, and other times you come to find out that they just are sort of like well, maybe parasite's the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying, Sean. They're just always around and maybe that don't have that big of an influence in the end. Uh, we'll find out. All right, Jamie Dupree, the most connected man in Washington. Thanks uh, so much for being with us. Have a great Fourth of July weekend. You too, Sean. All right, 800-941-SEAN. We're going to wrap up uh, my week here with uh, Tamara Holder, David Webb, and Rick Unger. See if Rick has an answer to the all-important question of specific accomplishments of Hillary, which he's now been fumbling around with trying to answer for the last month hey listen um i don't sleep i didn't sleep as well as i really should i mean i've suffered from insomnia for years i met mike lindell the inventor of my pillow he fitted me for my very own my pillow now i have four of them i bought three more it's changed my life now not only do i get to sleep faster but i stay asleep longer and it's the most comfortable pillow i've ever used now you can do the same as well and once you try my pillow, you're never going back to any other pillow. Trust me, it makes a difference. Now, just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090. And if you use the promo code Hannity, you get two for the price of one. And you can discover why MyPillow is the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation. MyPillow is made here in the USA. That means American jobs. It has a 60-day money-back guarantee, a 10-year warranty. You can wash it and dry it like your favorite pair of blue jeans. Don't spend another wasted, sleepless night on a pillow that's uncomfortable and doesn't work for you. Go to MyPillow.com right now. It'll change your life. Or call 800-919-6090. Use the promo code Hannity. You get two for the price of one. 
And that means you can start getting the kind of restful and comfortable and deep healing sleep you deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Hannity. Mention my name, 800-919-6090. All right, quick break. Our roundup is next. Straight ahead. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.